Hi fellow Maris and other listeners, welcome to this episode of the Maris Association of St Marceline Champagne's podcast. I'm Tracy Dublay from the membership team and today I'm presenting a collection of readings from the July edition of Christ Life. To read the full edition, check your email inboxes from last Wednesday, 19th of July, or go to the association website, marisassociation.org.au, and click on the news menu tab. Or you can scroll down the homepage to the latest news. Our meter Maris this month is Denise Simon from Alice Springs. And thanks to the people who read their own contributions for this recording. Some important items from the e-edition. We have three job vacancies on offer. A communications officer for the Star of the Sea province. A Maris Formation team member with uh, Mission and Life Formation and Amara Schools Australia Senior Leader Formation and Youth Ministry. You will need to read your Christ Life email for details and links to apply. Feel free to pass these opportunities on to friends and colleagues who might also be interested. There is also a notice for the Ecology of the Heart retreat taking place in September in Cairns. Nurturing and transforming creation is a command God gives not only at the beginning of history, but to each one of us. Details for this are on the homepage of the website or the MLF Spirituality Hub website at maristformation.org. Okay, listeners, grab your cuppa, settle into your seats and let's go. Greetings, fellow members of the Marist Association and friends of the Association. It's Brother David Hall with you here, a member of the Association, a member of the Association Council. And I want to offer you today a reading of the editorial which I wrote for the July 2023 edition of Christ's Life. The Synod. Why all the fuss? There is a heightened sense of anticipation in the Catholic Church across the world. The first gathering of the Synod to explore the topic of synodality is fast approaching. In the lead up to the October event in Rome, the Vatican recently released the final list of the 370 names of those attending. And the analysis has been swift, with commentaries flooding the Catholic media. Why all the fuss? In an article last week in the international publication La Croix, the Italian academic and church commentator Massimo Fagioli asserted that the upcoming synod is the most important Catholic church gathering since the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. Fagioli makes quite a claim. It's not that other synod assemblies haven't been important, but none of them were as explicit about seeking to determine and shape the future of the church. Let's consider this claim in the light of Vatican II. Up until the election of Pope John XXIII, the man who convened Vatican II, the church had experienced a period of relative consistency amidst the rising turmoil of a world at war 
and an emerging cultural revolution. Consider the names of the two popes who preceded John XXIII, Pius XI and Pius XII. It speaks, does it not, of a continuity of emphasis. Both Pius XI and Pius XII considered a Second Vatican Council, but it never eventuated during the reign of either of them. Both were acutely aware of a world that was rapidly changing. Pius XI made constant appeals to end communism, fascism, socialism, and strict secularism, arguing that the church could not be supportive of political systems that trespassed on human rights and the principal teachings of God. Pius XII took on the posture of diplomacy as he sought to navigate, along with other world leaders, a pathway to peace during and in the aftermath of World War II. Both popes embraced and struggled with the challenge of positioning the church so as to influence into a world desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Pius XII died after a two-decade papacy, the cardinal-electors at the conclave convened to choose his replacement were left floundering. They were probably certain that they didn't need a Pius XIII, but it wasn't clear exactly what the church needed. So they settled on a stopgap measure, choosing an older man who was likely to do little, and whatever he did, he would do cautiously. Not so. John XXIII saw an urgency to respond to the concerns that had bothered both Pius XI and Pius XII over a period of almost four decades. The world was not listening to the church, a church who had a gospel message that could help shape a world that was in increasing flux and turmoil. Within three months of being elected, John XXIII called the Second Vatican Council. He was to serve as Pope for only four years, dying while the Vatican Council was still in session. His successor, Pope Paul VI, saw the Council to its conclusion, asserting that the greatest challenge of the time was to restore, in new ways, the dialogue between faith and life. Increasingly, faith was not speaking to life, to the people of the world. The upcoming Synod Assembly is driven by the same aspiration to bring faith and life into dialogue. The Synod on Synodality is an advancement on Vatican II as it has added a nuance not as prevalent at the Council. Yes, we want to seek ways in which faith speaks to life, but also give emphasis as to how life speaks to faith. The Synod is about dialogue, and so it is about speaking and listening, 
with an emphasis on listening. The Synod is not about how we can build a stronger church for its own sake. The Synod is about how the church can work with our sisters and brothers of the world to build a new humanity that reflects the dignity of every person and indeed the dignity of all God's creation. As Maris, we are so well positioned to assume the posture of the Synod, to be listeners to a world in which God is incarnate. And only when we listen can we then speak. And when we speak, we will do so with the courage, the humility, the tenderness, and the wisdom that characterise Mary, who is our resource and our guide. Mary was the first Christian mystic, and the Synod is calling us to be and do the same. We read in our Marist spirituality document, Water from the Rock, Today's world deeply needs men and women who are mystics, people who are able to touch the mystery of all life, in an attitude of openness and surrender. Having experienced the love of God, they are witnesses of light among their fellow pilgrims, inspiring them to see God. My sisters and brothers, friends of the association, members of the association, let us be witnesses of light during this synodal journey of the global church. Brother Michael Callanan here. I'm a member of the Marist Association and Associate Director of the Mission and Life Formation Team. And this is my reflection for the July 2023 edition of Christ Life. Marist Schools Australia forms mission leaders for a synodal church. Mother Hilda Scott, OSB, Abbess of Jamboree Abbey, began the 2023 Mara Schools Australia Faithful Maters Colloquium with an appeal to recognise the divine in everyday life, reminding participants that God has never stopped whispering and creating and inviting them to hear God calling your name. Recently, the fully subscribed hermitage in the southern highlands of New South Wales hosted participants, speakers and facilitators for the biennial Mara Schools Australia Faith Formators Colloquium, a target experience of formation and professional development set against the backdrop of an Australian church trying to live synodality in the wake of the recent plenary council and within the emerging synodal pathway of Pope Francis. A second keynote presenter was Michael McGurr, Mission Director for Caritas Australia, who cleverly weaved a blend of storytelling, challenge and prayerful reflection into his engagement with participants. Michael said, it's so important that people like you in your Catholic school roles are really open to the sacred life of God and that while you might see that profound openness in a historical figure like Mary, the mother of God, she represents us all and models a way we can also respond daily. Responses evoked, including feeling strongly equipped for their role as leaders of mission alongside their school principal and other staff, with a mandate to announce God's mission purposefully within their schools and beyond.
Participant Julia Wake said, The colloquium was an affirming, reinforcing and invigorating experience, giving me content and inspiration, which is transferable to staff and students in my school community. The encouragement to live a life soaked in prayer fired participants to allow their own spirituality to find expression within their school communities and to boldly live out the 2023 Mara Schools Australia theme created and called for the sake of the gospel and the young people they educate. Thanks to Peter O'Callaghan, a local Gandangara man and a staff member at Morris College, Canberra, participants deepened their appreciation of First Peoples spirituality with several integrated experiences of welcoming to country, prayer and Indigenous storytelling. Conference organisers Nathan Ahern and I we're delighted with the calibre of presenters and the wholehearted engagement of all participants in every aspect of the colloquium. I was quoted as saying, it's such a valuable opportunity for those charged with mission leadership in Catholic schools to be formed, to pray and to explore together. The recent pandemic taught us about flexibility in design when it comes to formation opportunities. But digital ease and flexible connectivity cannot and should not replace in-person formation. Mara Schools Australia has long held a synodal approach to faith formation and Catholic education within diocesan support structures and expectations, seeing its mission leaders as co-creators with God who are continually being drawn by God into this vital work of the Church. If you ask the people responsible for animating the evangelising mission of Catholic schools how they operationalise the task, you'll get a wide variety of responses. Such is the talent and diversity within the 56 schools which form the Mara Schools Australia Network. Readers are invited to explore the recently launched Marist Spirituality Hub, on which a short video reel of the Faithful Maiders Colloquium is available. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Welcome. I'm Brother Robert O'Connor, Bob O'Connor, from the Morris Brothers community at Marcelin House, Randwick, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Formerly, I was part of the staff at the Hermitage Retreat and Spirituality Centre in Mittagong, New South Wales. This is the Miriam of Nazareth Reflection for Christ's Life, for July 2023. Notable among these early mythic developments about Jesus and his mother and Joseph, the source of many of these pious myths was a document called the Proto-Evangelium of James, a text to which scholars at times also refer as the infancy gospel of James. Its origins go back as far as the second century of the Christian era. And being a narrative about the earliest stages of life of Jesus' mother, Miriam, and about Jesus' birth, this apocryphal infancy gospel is closely associated with the world of images and events known from the biblical stories. It was referred to explicitly as an apocryphal gospel and was excluded quite deliberately from the scriptural canon. For example, it is here in this document that we read of the child Miriam 
being brought to live in the temple from the age of three and remaining there until the age of nine, spinning threads for a new temple veil. Hard to comprehend, I suspect. We also learn here of Miriam's parents, Anna and Joachim, for whom there is not a word in the approved scriptures. Such was the prevailing emergence of myriads of holy stories about the young Miriam of Nazareth, which the modern church has sought to rectify. And so I quote today from a lovely book called Miriam of Nazareth, written by a Jewish female scholar, Amy Jill Levine. And she writes, what we must turn to today is Mary of the scriptures, the Miriam of history. The New Testament tells us of her faith, her hope, her expectation. There she is a true image of the church, of all those who yearn to be whole. That was Miriam's charism. She is the measure of the spirit of God. She is a believer who's listening to God and whose acceptance of God's desire for his people became her identity. We know her as one who was available to be fruitful for God, as were all her previous Hebrew matriarchs, like Miriam, her namesake, Esther, Hannah, Judith. And finally, she was the woman who was prepared to be a disciple of her son, as portrayed especially in the Gospels of Luke and John, from the temple to Cana to the cross. Nowhere does she refuse to learn. Nowhere is she shown as separate from Jesus. Do whatever he tells you, she tells us in John's story of Cana in the second chapter of John's Gospel. She is the face of the follower of Jesus of the perfect community of disciples, the church. As mother and believer, she is for us a word about God. Unquote. Hi, this is Izzy, the Morris Youth Ministry Regional Assistant for Perth, WA, and this is my reflection for the July 2023 edition of Christ Life. What a journey it has been since the Morris community welcomed me with open arms into their world. This is the thing I love most about being Morris. All are welcome to the table. The MIM team has become somewhat of a second family for me, despite how far away I am from everyone over east. Although, I guess I should be used to it after growing up all the way out in Beverly, also known as the middle of nowhere. Regardless, the Morris spirit in our little Perth bubble is steadfast and there is always work to be done, especially among our three Morris schools, Newman College, Bunbury Catholic College, and St. Joseph School, Northam. My role as Regional Assistant for Morris Youth Ministry is hosted by Newman College in Churchlands, where I have had the privilege of working alongside their ministry team for over a year now. This team has shown me immense support in delivering the Game Changers program to the students at Newman College whose questions remind me every day that there will always be more to learn about God. It has been such a joy to be part of the community at Newman College, where the Morris tradition continues to thrive. Speaking of more to learn, 
I have recently taken on an additional role through Newman College as the school's youth chaplain. This pastoral care role alongside my MIM role has given me the opportunity to fulfil my passion for working with and supporting young people in their spiritual and intellectual journeys, which I hope to continue doing for many years to come. MIM has also given me the opportunity to reconnect with the Marist High School I attend, St. Joseph's School Northern. It has been such a tremendous joy to work with my high school teachers who played such an integral role in shaping me into the person I am today. I even had the chance to work at my younger brother's year 12 retreat, which meant the world to me. The ongoing connection with St. Joseph's School has also led to them finally joining the Game Changers program, starting with a group of eight wonderful students in year seven. I'm so incredibly excited to work with these students moving forward and can't wait for their first retreat in the next couple of weeks. And as if I haven't already been blessed with enough opportunities to work among the Catholic community this year, I have now also begun working for CYM, which is Catholic Youth Ministry Perth, where I am continuously learning, new meeting and learning about new young people with a passion for the mission of Christ, many of whom have been keen to learn more about the Marist Youth Ministry organisation and get involved with the Marist community. The future is looking bright for Marsh Youth Ministries' young adult ministry here in WA. I can't stop thinking that if someone told my year 12 self that this is where I would end up as a 20-year-old, I would not have believed it. God truly has put me on a path that I couldn't have even dreamed of. I mean, three years ago, I thought I was going to be a science teacher. I don't know what I was thinking. But I can thank all the people who have supported me through the Marist community for where I am now. Hello, it's Paul Harris from the Marist Mission and Life Formation team. Just narrating a little article I wrote for the Christ Life Journal. So what is it about this year's theme, created and called A Revolution of Love and Tenderness, that speaks to your heart. Throughout this year, I have been dipping into an old spiritual book by the renowned Jesuit priest Anthony DeMello, popular in my formative years as a youth and beginning teacher. I'd always enjoyed the insights of the collected stories and the spiritual treasures contained. The Song of the Bird takes you on a pilgrimage to the interior self. In the foreword to the book, DeMello suggests three ways of approaching the stories. Read the story once and move on to the next. This will provide you entertainment. Read the story twice. Reflect upon it. Apply it to your life. This will give you a taste of theology. Read the story a third time. And after you have reflected upon it, create a silence within you and let the story revealed to you its inner depth and meaning, something beyond words and reflections. This will give you a feel for the mystical. It is this third way that I have tried to adopt in approaching this book and the created and called theme. DeMello concludes, Carry the story around all day and allow its fragrance, its melody to haunt you. Let it speak to your heart, not to your brain. Mm. 
It was the story of the book's namesake and DeMello's brief commentary that really spoke to my heart. The Song of the Bird The disciples were full of questions about God. Said the Master, God is unknown, the unknowable. Every statement about him, every answer to your questions is a distortion of the truth. The disciples were bewildered. Then why do you speak about him at all? Why does the bird sing? said the master. DeMello writes, Not because he has a statement, but because he has a song. The words of the scholar are to be understood. The words of the master are not to be understood. They are to be listened to as one listens to the wind in the trees and the sound of the river and the song of the bird. They will awaken something within the heart that is beyond all knowledge. It is in this mystical listening to the waves at the ocean, the wind in the trees, the crickets in the silence of the night, or as Marcelin once wrote, in the noisy streets of Paris, that I can find God, that I can feel the mystery that no words can ever explain. It's a vibe. And what is the vibe of our Maris theme? Part of that vibe is the love and tenderness I need to give to myself. Don't be so harsh on myself. Accept myself as gift to others. Forgive and let go of the hurts and disappointments. Be tender and loving to myself. The other is making God's unconditional love visible through our own tenderness to others. Henri Nguyen writes, Whenever, contrary to the world's vindictiveness, we love our enemy, we exhibit something of the perfect love of God. Whenever we forgive instead of getting angry at one another, bless instead of cursing one another, tend one another's wounds instead of rubbing salt into them, hearten instead of discouraging one another, give hope instead of driving one another to despair, hug instead of harassing one another, welcome instead of cold-shouldering one another, thank instead of criticising one another, praise instead of maligning one another. In short, whenever we opt for and not against one another, we make God's unconditional love visible. We are diminishing violence and giving birth to a new community. Our song, To Be Sung, is the expression of our relationship with the divine presence of God. Through the loving and tender ways we have with others, ourselves, and all of creation. This is what we are created and called to be. Hello, this is Pat O'Reilly, Director of Mission Identity for Marist 180, and this is the July article for Christ's Life. Every organisation attempts to capture, measure and define success Marist 180 is no different. Like any agency and community wanting to be strong, committed to our mission and successful, we are committed to constantly reflecting on our practice, our service 
our way of being and doing, to clarify and make sure we are meeting and ideally exceeding our goals, targets and outcomes. In doing this, we discover and uncover good news stories, both qualitative and quantitative. In recent weeks and months, these stories have included reviewing our data and service in our homelessness programs. This benchmarks against our contractual obligations, as well as highlighting some impressive data on and from our services. This includes Maraswari Homelessness Services received 361 referrals in the previous financial year. In that same period, Maris 180 provided direct support to 260 young people. And in that same period, we supported 30 young people in their transition from us into their own homes. This includes transitional housing, private rental, rent choice, and long-term housing. We likewise hear individual stories of progress, of success, of 180-ness, here are three where names and some details have been changed to protect and preserve anonymity. One of these begins more than 10 years ago, the other two in more recent times and experience. Firstly, an email to Susan, a caseworker, from a former client from 2011. Hi there, Susan. Miss you heaps. I just wanted to thank you again for the help I received from you and the organisation. Being 17 and pregnant was so much. And looking back on it now, I couldn't have done it without you. We bought a house last year, a little Queenslander right near the beach. The kids love it. Leslie will be 11 this year. Can you believe that high school is next year? He has grown into such a strong and vibrant child and is so smart. He got an academic achievement award at school last year for mathematics. He loves his 4x4 and doggy. Savannah is 9 and Stacy just started kindergarten. We have a holiday homestead in central Queensland and that has black Angus cattle and chooks. The kids love it. We will be migrating, as the kids call it, down there this year after our wedding in early 2023. I hung up my boots as an emergency services worker and am now working as a dental nurse five days a week and my partner is still working in concreting. When we are looking back or talking about the past, your name comes up often and I appreciated you then but even more now that as an adult, I'm 30 next year. I ended up with stage two cancer in 2021 and had to have radical surgery. It was super scary and happened very fast. You were like the mum I never had. Thank you. Love heart, Tina. From caseworker Amber, reflecting on one of her current young people, Marion, I just wanted to give a shout out for young person Marianne and all she has achieved lately. After a roller coaster of emotions over the last year and with her wanting to drop out of school, she has finished her trial HSC exams and applied for early entry to university. She's also started working at fast food in Bageville and is loving it and picking up lots of shifts. She had started counselling and managing the appointments by herself. She is also so close to getting her learner driver permit once we've worked out her ID requirements. I'm just in awe of the resilience that Marion shows day in and day out. We presented her with some flowers from Maris 180, congratulating her on finishing her exams. Only 50 days of school left. And thirdly, from one of our homelessness services team, Sally. 
Bill was referred to Maraswanodi Homelessness Crisis Accommodation in 2020 after he was found sleeping rough. He is a young Aboriginal man from Ngunnawal country. Bill first experienced homelessness when he was 16 years old when he, his mother and sister were evicted from their home. Bill, mum and his sister spent 12 months in crisis accommodation before his sister was taken into care. Bill remained with mum with no permanent living arrangements. Due to mum's ongoing mental health and psychosis, Bill was left in parks and temporary accommodation alone. Bill left his mum's care at 17 years old and couch surfed between families in regional New South Wales until at 22 years old he travelled to Sydney where he was sleeping rough. Bill entered Marist 180 crisis accommodation in 2020 and at the time of his entry he was diagnosed as having schizophrenia, however not medicated. A caseworker worked with Bill to link him to a regular general practitioner. Bill was provided with medication and continued to make regular contact with his local GP. Youth workers worked with Bill to prompt him with administering his medication regularly. Bill participated in the living skills program in the refuge. He learned how to cook meals and worked on his personal hygiene. Bill engaged in weekly house resident meetings and would often assist his housemates in completing their chores if they were not present at the refuge. Bill's confidence grew and in turn proactively began sourcing work by linking himself with an Aboriginal job network service. His ability to obtain employment expanded his opportunities for alternative accommodation. He was able to successfully move into transitional housing with a five-year lease. Bill signed his lease and moved into his two-bedroom apartment in early 2021. While it has not been easy or smooth for Bill, he has come a very long way. In the interests of privacy, we have no images in this article, and hopefully these words paint pictures. The experience of Bill, Marion and Tina encourage us in our mission, affirm us in our resolve, and remind us that for many of us, there but for the grace of God go I. Each day the closing prayer for the Marist Association beckons Marists to make haste to the hill country of the lives of young people. There are many hills and dales in the ministry of Marist 180. Hi there, my name is Malika Nation and I am a AMS program mentor currently living in the Solomon Islands. Today's update comes all the way from Timor-Leste. Australian Mara Solidarity is visiting our program partners in Timor-Leste this July. With 12 active programs currently running, AMS shares a close bond with the communities it serves in-country through the great work delivered by our partners. Staff from AMS and teachers from Mara schools visited various AMS programs, including the newly built St. Teresina's Primary School in Calakai, a computer training course at CTUF, Wailili and Katilosa, a program supporting young people living with a disability. Operating since 2000, Katilosa continues to provide support to youth who are living with a disability. People with physical disabilities in Timor-Leste are often marginalized and therefore struggle to access education and basic health care. Katilosa provides early detection and intervention activities, as well as computer-based rehabilitation, physiotherapy, vocational and technical education, inclusive play and art and drama.
Since January 2023, Katilosa has kicked off the Community-Based Rehabilitation Program, which seeks to identify children living with a disability in local communities and provide support to their families through training in therapy. Currently, 75 participants benefit from the assistance Katilosa is providing through the Community-Based Rehabilitation Program. The center also provides regular checkups within the communities it serves and delivers further assistance where necessary. Noting the importance of well-trained teachers, Katilosa continues to maintain a close relationship with AMS program partner ICFP Bacau. ICFP is a Mars teacher training college in Timor-Leste with graduates trained in teaching students with learning disabilities. Recently, Katilosa worked with ICFP, providing training on teaching and caring for children with Down syndrome. Thank you to Katilosa for hosting AMS. If you would like to see images, please refer to the article. And now a word from our CEO, Rebecca Bromed and board chair, Alison White on AMS's 2022 annual report. It is with joy that we invite you to reflect with us on the achievements and experiences of the work of Australian Mars Solidarity in 2022. As the world started to emerge from the darkest moments of the COVID-19 pandemic, our partner communities still grappled with many of the challenges exacerbated by this period. They embraced these challenges with great hope and tenacity, and we are inspired by the incredible contributions being made across our region for children and young people, ensuring that even through the most difficult times, they are educated, supported, and loved. You can find some of their stories captured in our annual report, offering a glimpse into the communities, individuals, and work that enables young people across our region to have hope and access to education. In 2022, we worked in 18 countries with 47 partner communities, delivering $2.7 million through 63 different programs and projects. This enabled us to directly support over 8,500 children and young people who access these services and facilities. We could not have done any of this without the generous and open-hearted community of supporters that make up our AMS family. To the schools who ran fundraising activities, learning about and creating connections with our partner communities, thank you. This is Brother Michael Flanagan, and I'm the province archivist and a member of the Mascot Association group. This month, the history article is uh, concerning a photo of the juniors at Mittagong in 1927. It's a rare photo with many stories to tell. These were busy times at Mittagong, with many young men wanting to join. Arrangements were made to separate the novices from the juniors and move them next door, now the site of the hermitage. So on the property at Mittagong were the juniors, the novices, the senior brothers, an infirmary, the provincial officers and a farm. Unknown to any of these boys, of course, was how their lives would unfold. Many of them would go on to live happy, fulfilled and significant lives as Morris brothers. Some would live troubled lives as brothers, struggling as teachers, for instance. Others would leave the brothers and take on all sorts of things, some becoming husbands and fathers, 
Whatever their motivation in 1927, all had chosen to be at Mittagong and to be a junior in early formation as a brother. Some who died as brothers include Brother Elgar Murphy, the third row from the front, fourth from the left, his story is remembered below. Brother Owen Kavanagh, second row from top, third from right. Brother Romanus Hazlitt, fifth row, fifth from left. Brother Roderick Greenlees, top row, fourth from right. Brother Irvin McDonough, second row from the top, fifth from right. There are three Daly boys in the picture. F. Daly, third from the right, front row. V. Daly, fourth from the left, front row. And L. Daly, second from left, second row from front. All became brothers and their stories will be told in part two of this article next month. But we follow today the story of Redmond Dwyer Murphy, who became Brother Elgar. He lived a unique and influential life as a brother, a renowned poet and teacher. Because his life is summarised so beautifully by the authors of our necrology, it is here reproduced almost unedited. He was born in Cooma, New South Wales in 1910, to Patrick Dennis Murphy, a storekeeper, and Mary, a hospital matron. The family moved to Hurstville and Redmond attended the Morris Brothers High School, Darlinghurst. He studied the piano, achieving his associate diploma in piano studies with the London College of Music in 1925 at the age of 15. No mean feat for a boy of that age. He went to the junior aid at Mittagong, attaining his leaving certificate in 1927. That, plus his ALCM, was the only academic achievement of that most academic of men. In later years, he would claim with his wry sense of humour that he was an unqualified success. At the age of 17, he was appointed on the verge of entering the postulancy to the junior aid staff where for two years, 1928-1929, he taught his peers English, Latin, history and religious education. In January 1930, he entered the novitiate, making his first vows in July 1932. There followed appointments to Randwick. He had four appointments to this school. Darlinghurst, Cogra, Bendigo, Mossman, Gunelg, Parramatta, and Maitland. It was here that he left a lasting impression on John Bell, who became one of Australia's finest actors. In 1965, Elgar moved to Eastwood, where he taught till 1983, and where he remained till his death in 1990, the age of 79 years. While Edgar was always a larger-than-life figure among the brothers, because of his poetry, and it must be said, his devotion to the nicotine nipple, his own self-deprecatory phrase, he seems to have come into his own as a spokesman of the age in later life. 
It was Elgar who helped shape our post-Vatican II consciousness of ourselves as brothers with his deep and often witty reflections on religious life in his poetry. It was his sensitivity towards and affection for his fellow creatures which left their strongest mark in his poetry. Some titles, Two Snaps of Uncle Ben, Blind Gardener, Mixed Thoughts at the Funeral of J.D., speak of a man who loved company but enjoyed the pleasure of dry observation. Children and young people brought out a tender side. Who could forget Denise dancing for the young lady who was so prominent a mourner at his funeral? And Hunters for Neil and Peter, both aged 12. An elegy for an elderly mouse for David. Personal poems for friends abound. Norb for his old friend from cadet days, Captain Matheson or Brother Norbert. The Magicians for John and Annabelle. McCaffrey Knights recalling the pleasure of sharing literature and liquid in the Maitland years. But perhaps it is Speak to Strangers, which sums up best his attitude to his fellow human beings, whom he approached with such warm affection. He helped many a struggler on his way with good advice, whether it was on how to write a good line of poetry or simply with his personal interest in new friends. Elgar was a man of deep compassion, a compassion born of personal illness and suffering, as is generally the case with the poet. Well, I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. Blessings to you all. Have a great day and we'll be back for the Christ Life August edition. St Marceline Champagne, pray for us. And may we always remember to pray for one another. Bye for now. Thank you.